Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 109th program in this series. I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 12. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is when the Lord is praying to his God at the end of his ministry. We have our God manifested in the flesh, who is living as a man. And as a man, you would expect him to pray to his God. So he's expressing this prayer. In the previous verse, verse 11, he prays that his disciples would be one, one with one another. This is only going to be possible if they believe the same things, if they are bound together by the same truth that God has revealed to them. Jesus has held them together by being the definer of truth in their lives up to this point during his ministry. They have been bound together with one another. They are unified by the common belief that God has sent him, that he has been telling them the words of God. They, of course, believe that he is the Messiah. There are a number of things that they share in common when it comes to what they believe. When Jesus was present with them, he was the definer of truth, and so they were bound together by a common truth. This is what will establish unity. And if what people believe really is true, then they will live on the basis of reality, and they will be bound together in unity with their God. But if what a person believes is not true, then by default, They are living in fantasy, and while they might be able to find others who have the same beliefs as they do, they may be bound together with them, they may be unified with them, but they're unified on the basis of a lie, on the basis of a deception, on the basis of something that is not true. They are not living in reality together, they're living in a common fantasy. Now, continuing into John chapter 17, verse 12, Jesus said, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. He was able to hold them together, keep them together on the basis of their God, on the basis of the truth of their God. To say in your name means that he was holding them together, not in the name of Jesus, but in the name of the God of whom we have no name. We don't know what his name is. We know him for who he is, but we don't have an explicit name. We have a number of names that can be used in order to describe him, but he cannot be described in any singular capacity, so we don't have a single name for our God. But Jesus has said that he was able to keep them together while he was in the world by having them unified with the true and living God And he accomplished this by conveying the truth that the living God told him to convey to these people. 
continuing in verse 12, those whom you gave me, I have kept. And I explained in previous programs that the way that the disciples, that anyone is given to Jesus in this context, the way that God gives people to himself is he initiates by revealing the truth that he wants people to believe. Those who believe are the ones who respond to what he initiates. And when they believe the truth, he by default gives people to himself according to that criteria, according to that category of truth. So it is a decision of God and it is a decision of people. It is our decision to decide if we are going to believe the truth that he has revealed to us or not. And if we reject the truth, then we are not going to be in a relationship with our God. He will not have us in his life. Therefore, he does not give us to himself because he only wants those people who will respond to the truth that he reveals. Again, continuing into verse 12, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he's referring to Judas, the one who betrayed him. I spoke about Judas a little bit in the previous program, that it is likely that Judas betrayed Jesus because he wanted Jesus to be in a position where he would have to take the role as the messianic king or he would be killed. It appeared that Judas did not expect that Jesus would allow himself to be arrested and killed, that he would allow himself to be executed. Now, with this assumption, it would mean that Judas believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Judas believed that God sent him, that he came forth from God. Judas believed the things that Jesus had to say, that he taught, with the exception of this one little item. Jesus was unwilling to take the role as the messianic king because the majority of the people in the land rejected him as the messianic king. So he decided he would not force himself upon the people of Israel and take his rightful place as the messianic king by force. This apparently was a disagreement between Judas and Jesus. Judas wanted him to take the position no matter what, and Jesus refused to take that position unless certain conditions were met. And those conditions were not met. And so there was a disagreement between Judas and Jesus concerning this issue, and Judas betrayed Jesus by rejecting the truth concerning this matter. On that basis, Jesus lost one of his disciples. He lost this one. But even though he lost this one, this was a fulfillment of prophecy, and Jesus was able to invoke the new covenant because of this betrayal. Moving forward into verse 13, this is John chapter 17, verse 13. Jesus said, but now I come to you. And this is a way that Jesus described the closure of his ministry and the fact that he's no longer going to be a man. I explained this a little bit in the previous programs with regards to Jesus going to the Father in verse 11. And I come to you, Holy Father. 
he was going to end his life. His life was going to come to an end. His life as a man was over. Our God manifested in the flesh to live as a man. He did it. And now it's over. Who he was that people could recognize as Jesus was now going to end and God is going to unify himself in this abstract way. And he is going to be one. He's going to be one person, one individual, one God. When Jesus dies and resurrects from the dead, that is the end of our God living as a man. So again, he said, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's a way of saying that they may believe the truth and they may have joy just as he has joy, that they may have peace just as he has peace. And he spoke these things while he was there in the world as a man so that they could hear what he had to say. There would be no doubt, no confusion. We have a good record of what he had to say right here in John chapter 17. So if they will just believe the truth that he has revealed concerning this matter, then they can rejoice. They can have joy in themselves because... This is what our God wanted. This is what he wanted to see happen. And this is not the end. This is a beginning. A beginning of a new relationship according to the new covenant. It is an opportunity to have joy. In verse 14, Jesus said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Why was Jesus not of the world? Well, we could say he was not of the world because he was God manifested in the flesh. But as a man, he was not of the world because he lived by the truth of God. And the world as a whole does not live by the truth of God. When the disciples decided to believe the truth of God, then by their conviction, by their belief in the truth, they are no longer of the world. They are no longer going to belong to the world. They're not going to be a part of the world. They're definitely not going to be accepted by the world. The world will reject them. They will be hated by the world just because of what they believe. You also, when you believe the truth, you are going to be rejected by those who do not believe the truth. And it turns out that the overwhelming majority of the people who are in the world, especially those who are alive at the same time you are, those people in general reject the truth of God. And because this is the overwhelming majority, we can just simply say that this is the world. By default, there will be very few people who will embrace the truth of God. And there are many reasons why this is. And I spoke about this at the beginning of John chapter 17, when I began the messages in John chapter 17. For example, I gave a description of two different types of people. I divided people up into the irresponsible and the responsible, just to establish some kind of a definition. 
And both of them can be classified as being part of the world. The irresponsible would be easy to identify. These are people who fundamentally live by dishonesty. That's a way to describe a large portion of the people in the world. That people live by dishonesty, by lies, by deception, by manipulation. That the way that they solve the problems of life that they are confronted with is through using dishonesty, by using manipulation, by using dishonest ways of trying to live off of the labor of somebody else, just to give you an example. And then you have the responsible. There are people who will assume responsibility for themselves, but that does not automatically mean that they live by the truth. That just means that they have made a decision to engage the world and solve the problems of life in a legitimate way. And they will do this through honesty and through genuine relationships with other people by making agreements and fulfilling their part of the agreements, that these could be classified as responsible kinds of people. But this will not automatically mean that they are going to respond to the truth of God in a positive way. It just means that they are solving the problems of life in ways that they do not cause harm to other people or steal from other people or deceive and manipulate other people. This is a way of describing how people will relate to one another. But when it comes to the relationship with God, these are people that will often embrace the Old Covenant, but not necessarily the New Covenant, because the Old Covenant is compatible with a responsible way of life. You do what you're supposed to do, and you'll be rewarded. You will receive proper compensation for the work that you perform. And in the Old Covenant, this was how God defined a relationship between himself and, in this case, the nation of Israel, where he said, if you will obey my commandments, then I will bless you. And this is appealing to those who want to live a responsible life. For those who want to live irresponsibly, this is not appealing at all because they already live their lives by dishonesty, by not doing what it is that they should be doing. And so the offer of blessings from God for you doing that which is right just doesn't make any sense to these people. It doesn't have a place in the way that they solve the problems of life. But for the responsible, that can have a place. Unfortunately, this leads to other kinds of problems that need to be solved. For example, you're never going to obey the commandments to the satisfaction of God. And so this will never be accomplished. And so the people who pursue this way of life will have to look for other alternatives. One of them, for example, is that you will be rewarded in heaven. You know, obviously you're not being blessed right now, but don't worry. God owes you. And when you go to heaven, you'll be able to collect on all that God owes you. Just to give you an example about how some people will relate to their God on the basis of the truth that was revealed through the Old Covenant. And Jesus taught the Old Covenant because that was the covenant that was in effect when he was conducting his ministry. And so the responsible can often receive some of the words of God, some of the truth of God, But unfortunately, people get bound within the structure of the Old Covenant, and through that, they become resistant 
to the truth of the new covenant and the new relationship that gets defined because he remembers our sins no more and we are set free from the law because he fulfilled the demands of the law through his death on our behalf. So the people who can perhaps be described as the responsible, they have their own obstacles to get through when it comes to resting in the truth of God. Another way to understand the obstacle is that a person can develop an incredible amount of religious pride. When the responsible pursues religion, they can esteem a tremendous amount of pride because they live in honesty, because they live in integrity, because they live doing that which is right and not doing that which is wrong. They don't deceive people and manipulate people and steal from people. That's not how they live. So what do they do? They compare themselves with the irresponsible, with those who do live that way. So you have a large portion of the world who live on the basis of deception and lies. These are people who are going to hate you. And the responsible, those who compare themselves with these irresponsible people, they don't live that way, but they're going to hate you also because in the New Covenant, We take all of that away. The new covenant is based on what our God has done for us, not based on what we do for him. And when you take the law away through forgiveness, and when you establish a new way of life according to the inheritance and not by the law, well, then you're going to take away a person's opportunity to compare themselves religiously with those wicked, sinful, evil people who live irresponsibly and definitely reject God in an absolute and overt way. You're going to take away these people's opportunity to esteem their religious pride by saying that they are good and others are evil, even though, well, they're not so good. They're evil as well, but they have deceived themselves into believing that they are good enough, that they obey enough, that they have repented enough. Well, there's never enough, not according to the standard that Jesus presented when he was conducting his ministry, and he did that for the purpose of getting people to understand that there is no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God that we really do need another covenant to live by. And that is a struggle for the religious and the responsible people will find religion appealing. Both of these groups of people are going to hate you for their own reasons. The irresponsible kinds of people, they're going to hate you just because you expose the truth. Just because you are a representative of God, and their entire existence is based on a denial of the existence of God, a denial of the truth that God has revealed. So just by your existence, they will hate you because you expose them for who they are as wicked, sinful, dishonest, manipulative thieves who live off of the labor of other people and they live in an overt way openly rejecting the existence of the true and living God. And when you exist as a testimony of the true and living God, that he is real and that he is alive, then you expose who they are. 
you expose them for being evil. They will hate you because you expose them. That is why they will hate you. They will hate you for many other reasons too, perhaps. It depends on the individual. But in generalities, just to speak in a general way, these kinds of people will hate you just because you exist. Just because you are. You exist as a person who believes in God. Now, the responsible, they won't hate you for that reason. They'll hate you for other reasons, such as the exposure that they are not as perfect as they claim to be. If you live by the truth of God, you will live as a testimony that no one can be perfect, that no one can be good enough, that everyone needs to live only by his grace and mercy. And when these religious people live by a form of law, when they live by a form of good and evil, when they compare themselves with others on the basis of they repent, they obey, they don't sin like these other people, and you exist as a testimony against them to say, yeah, well, you sin in other ways. You still are not perfect. You are not sanctified. You never will be. When you exist as a believer in the truth of the new covenant, this is part of the new covenant. It is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And most of these responsible religious people, they live by the old covenant even though they believe that they are living by the new. They really are not. They are truly living by a form of the Old Covenant. And for those of us who embrace the truth of the New Covenant, our very existence is a testimony against them, and we expose the truth of their failure to be as perfect as God or perfect enough, and we expose the truth that even though they may have a tremendous amount of pride comparing themselves with others, they are just as bad. And we expose that when we exist on the basis of truth, then they will hate us as well. For example, when we testify that God does not hold our sins against us anymore, that is offensive to the religious because they want God to hold sins against them. That's what gives them the reason to invoke their confessional system, to get right with God. That's what they use in order to control and manipulate other people and motivate them to change, because, of course, God will not have fellowship with them if they don't change, if they don't become holy like these other people are. When we believe and we testify of the complete forgiveness of sins, we take these things away from the religious people. They will hate us. They hate that. So the world will hate those, by default, who believe in the new covenant, who live by the truth. Now, Jesus is not in the world anymore, so they can hate him all they want And he doesn't have to be a part of that at all. But you, on the other hand, you are in the world. And the world has access to you. And they can hate you. And they can find ways to cause disruptions in your life. 
and pain in your life. They can find ways to hurt you. And these are the people who God sends us to that they may be saved. God sends us to the world, to the unbelievers, to the irresponsible, to invite them to believe in the true and living God. He sends us to these people who are going to hate us. And he sends us to the religious people, those who want to live by the law, to tell them that they have been set free and that they are to be reconciled to God because of what he has done. And they will hate you too. That's verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I will continue into verse 15 in the next message. Thank you for listening. This is the 109th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 17, verses 12 through 14, when Jesus told the disciples that the world would hate them. The world would hate them because they're not of the world. They're not in the world in that sense. And the reason why was because they knew the truth and they believed the truth. They lived by the truth. The overwhelming majority of the people in the world do not live by the truth. And so just by the existence of the disciples as being people who know the truth and live by the truth, the world is going to hate them. And the main reason why is because the people of the world are going to be exposed as people who are dishonest and who do not live in reality. Just by the disciples' existence, just because of their presence, just because of who they will be, those around them will be exposed and they will want the believers in Jesus to be out of their lives. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net